The following message is by Pastor Eugene Ahn of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Good morning, Emmanuel. Oh man, I know everyone's recovering from that victory last night, right? I saw some Cubs paraphernalia. Ain't no shame, right? And uh, the Bible tells me rejoice with those who rejoice. So I will rejoice for the Cubs fans. Congratulations. That's very exciting. It's been a long, long time. I used to be a Cubs fan. It's a long story. I won't get into it. We got a, we got a message to hear. So let's start off. And this is going to be the fourth message in the Useful Hands series. And I'll be preaching from First Peter. And so I want to start off by reading the text and getting right into it. So let's start in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to hear from you. And God, we pray that your word would really cut us to the heart and lead us closer to you and also to live out the life that you are calling us to. I pray, God, for every person in this room that you would lead us to respond through the power of the Holy Spirit to be ministers of the gospel wherever we go. And so, God, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but when Chick-fil-A came to Chicago, I was very, 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 very excited. It's, everyone just said, it's just a chicken sandwich, but the first time I heard about it was somebody from Atlanta, and she's like, you never had Chick-fil-A? I'm like, well, we don't have it here. She's like, it's going to change your life. <laughs> and so I, you know, I waited, I waited, and finally came to Chicago, and what's so awesome about Chick-fil-A, and I think it's ironic that I am talking about food as an introduction, but I, what I love about Chick-fil-A is not only the chicken sandwich, which I deeply love, or the great service, which I really, really appreciate, but it's based on Christian values. The owners are overtly Christian. In their mission statement, they talk about glorifying Jesus. And hey, I can get with that. I, not only am I paying money to Chick-fil-A when I eat and I, I'm enjoying myself, but it's to a, a company that honors the values that I honor. And when you go to the bathroom, you hear Caleb, and you're like, this is really, really neat. I, I didn't expect that. And something happened about four years ago in 2012. If you remember, Chick-fil-A got in the news, and it wasn't for a chicken sandwich, but it was for a comment that their chief operating officer, Dan Cathy, had made on a radio show called The Ken Coleman Show. And this is what he said. He was ta- it was during that time when... Uh, 
gay marriage was still a big hot topic. I think now we've been moved forward from that point. But he made a comment and he said this, I pray God's mercy on our generation that has such a prideful, arrogant attitude to think that we have the audacity to define what marriage is about. And from that quote, and also some of their financial contributions, we, there, there was massive boycotts. There were uh, people protesting outside of Chick-fil-A. There were things called kissins at Chick-fil-A. And there was this massive backlash at the company. And I think for most of us, that, that could be one of our worst fears as a follower of Jesus. Not so much that we, we stand with Dan Cathy and we echo what he says, but to see people picketing on your lawn and saying things that are horrible and not really truthful about you as a Christian. And I think for us, we, we wrestle living in that tension, don't we? As followers of Jesus... How are we to live in the tension between holiness and worldliness? Because that's something that we face every day. We're literally caught between two worlds. On one hand, we acknowledge Jesus Christ, my Savior, my Lord, my Redeemer. And we want to live a life according to His plans and how He wants us to live. But on the other hand, we live in a culture that literally stands at odds against everything that God calls us to be, they're the direct opposite. So what do we do? What, what are we supposed to do? Do we, we have the option of this. We isolate ourselves. We have Chick-fil-A communities. No, I'm just joking. But we isolate ourselves. We become these Christian enclaves where, hey, you can leave your doors unlocked. There's always worship music going on. And it's almost like a taste of heaven on earth. Or the other option, do we just fully immerse ourselves in the culture and just do what they tell us, believe what they say, and just, yeah, I, I am fully immersed in this. Do as Romans do. Or is there a way to live in this tension between living holy and living in this world? And I think First Peter has a message for us today in that. Now, I want to break down for you guys just sort of what your life is like in a nutshell. All right? And so this first slide here, it tells us this. In one seven-day week, we have 168 hours. 56 hours, about 33% of your life, is spent sleeping. Now, for some of my youth group members, it could be 40, 50 Sometimes 60%. <laughs> Some people tell me, I wake up at like 2 p.m. Wait, what? How? How is that even possible? In one work week, and I chose this third slide because I'm just going to keep it real, winter's coming. But in one work week, spend about 40 hours, which is 24% of your life. Now, that's just a solid 40. I think a lot of us here, you may dip into the 45, 50, 60 hours a week, which comes up to about 36% of our life. And then we look at Sunday worship, and here we spend about 0.9% of our lives in worship during a week. Now, when we spend 24% of our lives, who are we spending it with? 
I think if you're like my corporate uh, business that I work at, most of the people you work with do not know Jesus. They don't profess Christ. Um, they are non-believers. And they definitely have opinions, don't they? They definitely have biases. They've maybe profiled what Christians are like. And they have this stigma in their mind. And so we live in this tension every day. Sunday mornings you can hear a great message, but then Monday morning happens. You enter into the office. Has anybody changed? No. Nobody has changed. There are the people that are rude. And the people you really struggle with, like, Jesus, how can I love this person? And then you have the people that in, are incredibly lovely, right? Don't you have those coworkers that they don't know Christ, they're not Christian, but man, they're actually nicer than you. Well, though we are a minority, a small segment of the population, Jesus, he's calling us to be his salt and light wherever we are. And so the book of Peter, it was written for Christians in a similar situation. They were all scattered throughout Asia Minor. And so this slide here, it shows just a, a basic Bible map of Asia Minor. And in 1 Peter 1.1, it says this, To those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So these Christians were a minority scattered throughout Asia Minor, and as minorities are, they were persecuted. They were suffering Christians. And they were a minority group living in the tension, surrounded by a pagan culture, pagan religions, and pagan practices. And they were like the sect group on their own. So 1 Peter was written as an encouragement to the believers. It was written as an exhortation. It was one, one as an encouragement in their faith, but also an exhortation to live out their faith. Not to just become like the culture, but to live out their faith. And I know this is the challenge for us, is that we don't face suffering and persecution, typically. We're not going to have people picketing on our lawn or even picketing in front of our church. But we do face this very, very negative stigma in the public arena, don't we? There's a very negative, negative attitude, negative perspective towards Christians that they are condemning, closed-minded, hypocritical, self-righteous. And so... I think the biggest question this morning is, how do we live in this tension? How do we do it? And so the first thing is, we have to know who we are as Christians. So living in the tension as ministers of the gospel. And I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As you can imagine, living in a pagan culture, something that's so different from their own uh, Christian culture, the biggest temptation is to what? Assimilate. To fit in. Nobody likes to stick out, do they? 
I mean, it's human nature. We don't want to stick out. I went to my very first conference for work last weekend, and I'd never been to a conference. Do you know what I did? I didn't know how to dress. So I went online, and I looked at the conference photos, and I'm like, oh my goodness, everyone's wearing a suit and jacket. Do I have to wear a suit and jacket? I've never really worn a suit and jacket outside of weddings and funerals. <laughs> like, I wasn't used to it. So I packed my bag, and I was like, well, I, I don't want to wear a whole suit, but I, I will bring a tie. And so the temptation was, I, I just want to fit in. I don't want to stand out and look awkward or weird. And so just to let you know, everybody's wearing a suit and tie. <laughs> Everybody was dressed. And I wasn't totally sticking out because I at least had a tie. But then the people that had no ties, like, judging them, come on, man, this is a conference. <laughs> How can you come like that? But all of us as humans, our desire is to fit in and to assimilate. And the same thing as Christian, I think that is the temptation, isn't it? I don't want to stick out from everyone else at work. I don't want to be known to be that crazy person in the corner that's a Christian fundamentalist. And our temptation is to fit in. But Peter reminds them and us, as followers of Jesus, we aren't like everyone else. And that is the truth. We're not the same. On this next slide, I just highlighted some of the, the words that he uses in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, as sojourners and exiles, and these are the words that he's using, that you're not like everybody else, but you've been set apart for God. And when it says chosen people in the original text, it's ethne. You're a new ethnicity. You're a new people group. And that is who God has called us to be. In that time, it was so easy to just say, I'm, I'm a person from Galatia, you know, I'm a Galatian, I'm from Pontius, and it's similar to us, like, hey, I'm from Chicago, I'm, I'm from L.A., or I'm from Korea, or I'm from a different country, and we identify initially with our ethnicity, our origin. But what Christ had done is he had called them out of that. He saved them beyond their ethnicity, they had become part of a holy nation set apart for God. And it doesn't sound radical here today because we're so used to having everybody mixed together. But in that time, you were completely divided by origin, by ethnicity, and it was completely separate. And even in the Gospels, if you remember, the God, in the Gospels, the message was first for who? The Jews. It was first for them and then for the Gentile. In Acts chapter 10, something radically happens in Peter's life. He has this dream. And in this dream, he sees a blanket unfolding. And out of it comes food that are clean and unclean foods. And God tells him, go, eat. And what does Peter say? Oh, no, no, no. I am a very religious Jewish person. I will not partake in that unclean food. And God tells him, do not call unclean what is clean. And from that moment, the gospel message was no longer just for Jewish people. Praise God, amen? Because none of us would be in this room <laughs> if that were the case. 
But this message was now for every man, woman, and child to hear the great news of Jesus Christ, that he is the Savior of the world. And so what did that mean for everyone else in the world? Colossians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And there were no longer these ethnic divisions, but now we are chosen people of God. And so superseding our ethnic origin, where we were born, where our parents were born, now we are Christ followers. You know, my dad, he would joke with me, um, and he's here, so it's sort of funny. My dad would joke with me and say, Eugene, your, your hardware is all Korean, but man, your software is all American. <laughs> I have no bond with that home country in Korea, because all of my, so even outwardly, all my DNA, if you just took a blood sample, oh, you're definitely from Korea. But man, everything I know, all that I am, I'm truly, truly an American. And the same thing with us as Christians, now our faith has superseded any other identification that we have. We have to know who we are. And so as chosen people, now that we know who we are, as chosen people of God, we function as a royal priesthood, ministers of the gospel. What does that mean? <laughs> In Old Testament times, there, there's only a select tribe that could be the priest, and that was from the tribe of Aaron. And these specific individuals acted as mediators between God and man. They would offer the sacrifices. They would do the offerings. They would pray on behalf of the people. These were mediators between God and man. But a crazy thing happened when Jesus died on the cross. And what happened when he died, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. The veil was torn. What does that mean? Just a random curtain? Well, you have to understand that when priests went in to do the offering, they went into this area called the Holy of Holies. No one else could go in there but the priests. And they had this direct interaction with God. They had this personal relationship with God, and they were acting as mediators on behalf of the people. But when Christ died on the cross, he tore that veil, and symbolically for you and me, we no longer need a priest as a mediator. But now you and I are called the royal priesthood, that we now are mediators on behalf of God to man. And so now every one of us has direct access to the Father. Amen? We don't have to meet with Dr. Steve like, can you say this on behalf of me to God? But you can go into your kitchen. You can go into your living room and meet with the living God. Amen? That is incredible that we have direct access. And so now we have become mediators for God. And as a royal priesthood, I am calling that ministers of the gospel. That each and every one of you that has surrendered your life to the Lord, you are a minister of the gospel wherever you go. 
To help you understand this, uh, back in January, I have a friend that works at the United Center. And when he told me, he's like, hey, next time you go to a game, text me, let me know, and I'll give you a tour of the place. So, of course, you know, me and my brothers, we go, and I'm as giddy as a schoolboy. I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's going to pick me up. I can't believe I'm going to see, I'm going to enter in. And so I text him nervously. I'm like, we're here. Where should I meet you? He calls me to a certain gate. He says, hey, meet me here. We all get security badges, and we take an elevator. (laughs) We go downstairs. He shows me around. And then he takes me, what you see here, into the Chicago Bulls Holy of Holies. (laughs) It was the Bulls front office where they have a collage of all six championships. And I took this picture of Michael Jordan's jersey. This is from his rookie year with his Nike Air Jordan 1. (laughs) Like, if, if I had the emotion to cry, it would be this, just... And they had an old, uh, from the Chicago Stadium, they had uh, the, the centerpiece. And so, of course, they had my children take, go stand by there, take a picture, smile. <laughs> and my friend acted as a mediator for me. He allowed me to go into the Holy of Holies. And he allowed me to behold the glory of the Chicago Bulls. And I was thankful. I was so thankful. I should text him after this sermon and be like, dude, thank you. Thank you for letting me be part of this. And that's ultimately what we do as ministers of the gospel. They are, we are mediating between God and man. And through them, they ha- through us, we're allowed to teach people about who God is, about who the Savior really, really is. There is a public perception out there on the news channels, on uh, blogs, and they think Christians are this way. But you and I get to debunk all of that as ministers of the gospel. And so I want to say this, is that you don't have to be in ministry to be a minister. Amen? You don't have to collect a paycheck to say, oh, I'm in ministry to be a minister. But wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever you shop, you are a minister of the gospel. Now, this is something where we can react and be like, well, I, I don't know. I mean, we have this one challenge where as Christians, we can just get so wrapped up in living out our faith, right? We've got quiet times. We've got small groups. We've got events. We've got a lot of church stuff happening. And we also want to take care of our family, which is there's nothing wrong with that. But we sometimes get these blinders on and we... Forget what our purpose is, that it's not simply for us. And Jesus described this in the parable of the Good Samaritan, where a priest, a Levite, who is a person considered clergy, and a Samaritan passed by a person who was half dead. The priest and Levite, these are mediators of God. 
but yet their action is what? Hey, I, I don't want to get defiled. Like, if I touch someone that's sick like that, I got to go to the temple, I got to do this and that. You know, I'm just not going to deal with it. The other person just, well, maybe he didn't see me and I didn't see him, and I'm just going to move on with my life. But the Samaritan could not turn a blind eye. He wraps up this person's wounds, takes him to an inn, pays the money, says, whatever this person needs. And through that acted as a minister of the gospel. And do you know what Jesus says about the Samaritan? He gives his endorsement. He says, go and do likewise. And so that's one challenge that we face where we're just sort of oblivious to what's going on around us. But I think the other challenge that we saw play out with Chick-fil-A is, man, I don't want to get rejected, right? I think for me, that's one of my fears too. If I come out as a Christian, what are people going to think about me? What are going to be their opinions of me? What are their thoughts going to be of me? And that is a legitimate fear that we all face. But I want to say this, number one, is we know who we are. We're chosen people of God. And that we don't need to be ashamed of what God has done in our lives. And so we can be authentically ourselves and share our own experience of what God has done. People naturally share all the time. But we can share just what God has done for us. And sharing that faith as ministers of the gospel, people hear and see what God is doing. 1 Peter 2, 9b, it says this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And as followers of Jesus, that's what we're doing We're just bragging about the person that's doing this work in our lives. And this is what I try and tell people. It's not me. It's not me that has become this radical person, but what Christ has done in me. And so we naturally share these stories. I shared this story a while ago. But when I was leaving my last job, um, I had to share with them about my faith. I had not really spoken overtly about it. People knew that I was a Christian. People, some people knew that I was in youth ministry, but I never overtly said it. And so, so you guys may remember this story, and if not, enjoy it for the first time. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's my last day of work. We go out to lunch, and we're going to a China buffet, right? And, and I'm like, you know, everyone's having a good time. I'm sort of squirming because I'm like, well, the time is coming where, you know, I got to share. I'm going to share. I'm going to share. I'm going to share with these people what Christ has done. And uh, as I'm eating, you know, if I'm at a buffet, I want to be enjoying and maxing out on it. But I was like, I had very tentative eating and, and just like, okay, I'm going to say it. And so, you know, when everyone winds down after their third plate, they're like, oh, man, I'm so full. Um, I'm realizing, okay, here it is. This is the time. And I just, in that quiet moment, I just say, guys, I just, I just want to share, like, how much I appreciate you. It's been awesome working together. And if there's, if there's anything good in my life that you've enjoyed, they're like, wow, this is great. It's not, it's not me, but it's what Christ has done in my life. 
And if there's anything bad that you really didn't like, that's actually who I really am. That's me. And Christ is working in me and doing the work. No one was transformed. No one was converted. But I was proclaiming the excellencies of the one who saved me. It's not me, but it was Christ working through me. And I want to encourage you as the body of believers, you can share naturally, organically. Don't just start saying it in awkward conversations like, did you know God did this in my life? Like, where did that come from? But just naturally sharing. And rather than being prescriptive, when I mean prescriptive, like, you should do this. What I'm doing, like, you got to get on board. But be descriptive of your experience and what Christ has done in your life. You know, God, you know, when I was a wreck back in college and I tried to do this and that, and man, honestly, what changed my life was surrendering my life to Jesus. And he has helped me every point in the way. And I'm not a perfect person, but it's what Christ has done in me. And though people may give you the awkward silence, it's not about them. You're just sharing your experience, and that's okay. And being authentically you, even when you are fearful or scared, know that you're chosen. He's got your back. He's the one that's done the work in your life. And just honor Him and praising Him through it. And so now, how do we do it? How do we live in this tension? We know who we are. We know who we're called to be. Well, how do we do it? Living in the tension as ministers of the gospel, our actions speak louder than words. Our actions speak louder than words. That our very conduct can influence those that don't believe. 1 Peter 2.12 says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And this is not just a one-time thing Peter says. It's not he just honorably mentions it and then moves on throughout the book, but over and over and over again throughout First Peter, he says this. And I have a slide here that just gives you a brief summary. First Peter 1.17 And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each, one de- each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your, the time of your exile. First Peter 2.15 For this is the will of God. By doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see respectful and pure conduct. 1 Peter 3, 14 through 17. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, not if, but when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. 
For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. What is Peter saying to us this morning? Your conduct, your actions make a difference. Our actions speak louder than words. Amen? And that happens across the board, not even with the Bible, but as human beings, we look for people's actions. We want to make sure that people's words are matching what? Their actions. And they're walking step in step. Because when they don't, we got a problem, don't we? And we point it out. Even though you may not overtly say it, we, people point it out and they want to make a note of it. And so per, Peter's urging believers throughout Asia Minor, let your actions speak louder than any words that you could profess. Your good deeds, your conduct, what you don't say, let that speak volumes about who your God is. And so my parents, what they used to say, and I love it that my parents are here, it's my mom's birthday today. Happy birthday, Mom. Sweet 16 again. All right. My parents used to say, whenever I would misbehave out in public, you know, they would not say, what does this say about you? They would say, what is this going to say about me as a parent? <laughs> the same thing with our conduct as ministers of the gospel in our actions. It's not so much what does it say about us. Really, what does it say about our God? And we have to be mindful of that. When your actions don't match your words, which, hey, can we be honest? That happens, amen? Married people, amen? <laughs> At least in my marriage. I don't know about you, but me. Yeah, I'll do it. Oh, wait, did I say that? <laughs> Sorry about that. When our actions don't match our words, just own up to it. If your coworkers, and you've blown it with your coworkers, you're like, you said all this stuff, they know you're a Christian, and they, they're critiquing you. The worst thing you could do is try and cover it up. Don't pay attention to that. No. Just own it. Hey, I blew it. I am so sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to say those things, and, and I really apologize, and, and I'm sorry about that. And believe it or not, through an apology, through contrition, through humility, that actually builds credibility and authenticity. And as a Christian that may have blown it with others, that we can build authenticity into it through admitting our failures. Now, as we started with this story about Chick-fil-A, um, it was brutal in the press. They got really, really negative press and you did not see a press conference. You did not see Chick-fil-A overtly saying anything. But what Dan Cathy did, he reached out to this man here in this picture. His name is Shane Winmeyer. Shane Winmeyer is the executive director of Campus Pride, which is an LGBT student group. And Shane was actually helping form all of the uh, protests, the boycotts, and Dan Cathy, no pictures, no videos, got, his, got Shane's number and called him. And rather than s wanting to justify himself to Shane, 
He just began to get to know him. Just, I want to know who you are, Shane. I want to understand where you're coming from. And you can uh, imagine for Shane, like, hold up. This billionaire's calling me up. Uh, you want to tell me to do something? You want to yell at me on the phone? You know, all of those thoughts going through his mind. What are your motives? What do you really want here? But Shane, over time, realized Dan wasn't doing it to change Shane. Dan was doing it to understand where Shane was coming from, to understand Shane's experience, to learn about it, rather than to condemn, and, and he didn't even know him. And what's so funny is that Shane, during this time Chick-fil-A was getting killed in the media, Shane wrote a Huffington, Huffington Post article, and he entitled it this, My Coming Out as a Friend of Dan Cathy and Chick-fil-A. What? How did that happen? And I want to encourage you to look it up online. It's really a great story, but I'm going to read an excerpt from Shane's article. And this is Shane speaking. He says, We learned about each other's people with opposing views, not as opposing people. Throughout the conversations, Dan expressed a sincere interest in my life, wanting to get to know me on a personal level. He wanted to know about where I grew up, my faith, my family, even my husband, Tommy. In return, I learned about his wife and kids and gained an appreciation for his devout belief in Jesus Christ and his commitment to being a follower of Christ more than a Christian. Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness when he heard of people being treated unkindly in the name of Chick-fil-A, but he offered no apologies for his genuine beliefs about marriage. Dan, in his heart, is driven by his desire to minister to others and had to choose to continue our relationship throughout this controversy. He had to both hold to his beliefs and welcome me into them. He had to face the issue of respecting my viewpoints and life even while not being able to reconcile them with his belief system. He defined this to me as the blessing of growth. He expanded his world without abandoning it. I did as well. I will not change my views, and Dan will likely not change his, but we can continue to listen, to learn, to listen, learn, and appreciate the blessing of growth that happens when we know each other better. I was completely dumbfounded when I read that. Dan, did, Dan Kathy did not set up the video cameras like, look at me, look at what I'm doing. Hey, recognize me. But what motivated him is his love for Christ and to understand what is going on here, understand where Shane is coming from. And Dan never endorsed that lifestyle, and neither did Shane endorse Dan's, but there was this mutual respect. And I will tell you this, that when Christ returns, Shane will recognize this is the Savior that I saw in Dan. This is the person that Dan was talking about. And that is what First Peter is telling us as ministers of the gospel. Our goal is not to change people. That's not my job. 
Even as a pastor, my goal is not to change every one of my youth, youth group kids, say, you believe in Jesus, you believe in Jesus, and then say a metric, hey, I've got 100% faith going on in my group. But I leave those results to God. And I just be a minister of the gospel. Where did Dan learn all of this? From who else? Our Savior. That's who he was. That's who he is. Befriending Zacchaeus, a person that was hated by everybody, and going over to his house to have a meal. Engaging in conversation with the town outcast, the woman at the well. No one spoke to her with dignity. Jesus demonstrated mercy and compassion to those people he called as his disciples, to Matthew, a tax collector. This cheat was on Jesus' team. And Peter, a fisherman, completely uneducated, smelling like fish, said, I want you on my team, man. Join me. Jesus met those felt needs, and he almost he earned that right to be heard in the message. And so living in the tension as ministers of the gospel, our action speaks louder than words. So how are you going to do it? Monday's coming. Your alarm clock's ready. <laughs> Your boss is waiting for you. How, where do we start? Number one, ask God to take the blinders off. How have I been oblivious to other people's needs? How have I been so wrapped up in my own life and my own holiness and godliness and righteousness that I've been completely oblivious to where God has placed me uniquely? Ask God to give you a heart of compassion towards your coworkers. Admit failure. This is really tough for some folks, but admit failure. If you failed your coworkers, if you failed people at school, if you've said some really harsh things and you regret it and own up to it and admit failure. Genuinely ask God for opportunities, divine appointments, and that's something that God does. The perfect timing, he will bring you into a situation. It's nothing that you could have orchestrated, but God brings you in in a divine appointment. And I'm going to say this. One of the greatest ways we can minister to people, whether they believe in God or not, is praying for them. It's praying for them. I've had situations where coworkers are in tears, and I don't know what to say, but I function as a minister of the gospel and say, can I pray for you? And I lift them up to God and just ask God to comfort them in their time of need. I had a friend I was speaking to this week at his work. He has a desire to uh, represent Christ well in his uh, place of work. And a situation happened where a coworker's father passed away. And his coworker was deeply distraught, very hurt, really going through a lot. And he did this, that same thing. He just said, can I pray for you, man? And he prayed for him. And this opened the door of opportunity where my friend is on the worship team at his church, and he invited this guy, and I'm going to call him Rob. He invited Rob. said, Rob, my band is playing. Do you want to come check it out? Not totally deceitful. I mean, not, not totally. But he just said, hey, you want to come check it out? So he comes, checks it out. Here's the message. I want to follow Jesus. He got baptized. 
And not only him, but he brought his sister in. His sister gave her life to Christ and was baptized. My friend, was he like, oh, this, I'm going to script it out. This is what's going to happen. No. He left the results to God. And as ministers of the gospel, when you let your actions speak louder than words, hey, leave the results to God. He's going to take care of it. Beloved, where we spend one-third of our life, let your actions speak louder than words of our awesome God that has rescued us, saved us, proclaim His excellencies, so that when He returns, not if, but when He returns, they will glorify God because they saw it first in you. He's placed you there for a reason. You through kids in your high schools, in your schools, he's placed you there for a reason. For those that are in mom groups or those that are not working full time, he's wherever you are, he's placed you there for a reason. May the Lord empower you through that. Let's pray together. I'd like to take this time and really just begin to ask God, take my blinders off, Lord, in my workplace, in my neighborhood. Lord, how can you use me? How can you use me? Take a moment to pray and lift that up. And not by your own might or your own ability, but really depending on the Spirit of God to empower you to be bold, to empower you to act in compassion, and to be Christ to those that have no idea who Christ is.